MRCC, welcome to Online Church. We thank you for joining us today, and we hope that your family has had a blessed time celebrating Easter this last weekend. Hey, if you're feeling like me right now, you might be feeling a little have, uh, stir crazy and have a little cabin fever. But be encouraged today before we worship and know that there's freedom in his presence. There's freedom as we worship our Lord. So I encourage you to get on your feet today as we worship our God. We lift our hearts to you, Lord. Step out of the shadows, step out of the grave, break into the wild, and don't be afraid, yes, run into wide open spaces, grace is waiting for you, dance like a weight has been lifted, grace is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Do you believe that, church? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Come out of the dark, just as you are, into the fullness of His love. For the Spirit is here, let Out of the dark, just as you are. 
Yes, God, in your presence, there's freedom. Lord, in your presence, there's life. We experience the love of God in your presence. Church, we are going to sing a new song today. And as we sing this song, let us remember that in every season, in every circumstance, God is able to do so much more than we can ask or imagine when we love and trust him. His love can bring new life out of seemingly dead places and fearful situations, maybe like the one we're in now. So how do we respond to this love but with worship? In Psalm 63, it says, Your love is better than life, and my lips will glorify you. Church, would you join us as we sing this song and glorify our Lord? Because we remember there's nothing like the love of God. from your heart today I searched the world but it couldn't fill me man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough and you came along yes. and you brought me back together
believe would you sing this with me here and now oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing no better than you lord there's nothing nothing is better God, we believe in the power of your love. Church, we are united as one family here and now. And we know that this is a difficult time for many of us. There are some of us that are feeling isolated. There are some of us that are feeling lonely. There are some of us that are fighting with their families and their spouses. There are some of us that are sick or know someone who's sick. But church, know that this same grace that we sing about every Sunday is available to you now wherever you are his grace is sufficient he died on the cross for you and his love is overflowing his arms are open church let us step into that love together whatever you're going through his arms are open Lord we worship you we praise you Sing I 
celebrating Easter every single day because he poured it out for us his blood poured out for you and so Lord we remember and we celebrate your goodness this grace this love there's nothing like it it is better than life and as your church we worship you we say thank you and we lift up our hearts to you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So good to worship with you today. Hey, church, before we continue with today's message, we just have a few announcements we'd like to share with you. First, we'd like to remind you that once we can gather together in our building again, we are going to be celebrating Easter again with an Easter reunion celebration. We'll have lots of praise and worship, and also outside we will have a picnic with food, we can't wait till we can gather together again. If you're looking for ways to connect with us during this time, follow us on our social medias at MRCC now for daily devotionals at 8 a.m. as well as the intermittent word. And unfortunately, during this time, the network has decided to cancel all summer network camps. So kids camp as well as the youth summer camp have both been canceled. We're working on some other events during this time to be able to uh, have those with our MRCC family. And with that, let's direct our attention to Pastor Greg, who has today's message. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you again. It's great to be gathered in spirit. Uh, I miss you a lot. I miss the back and forth that we have in person. But I know that God is leading us through this wilderness. We're going to come out the other side. We're going to be together again. And I'm looking forward to that. I hope that you are as well. I know that many of you are by the encouragement and by your faithfulness in this time. So thank you for that. Let's open God's word together. And this morning we are going to finish the series that we began before Easter, that we began when this whole virus thing started called In the Wilderness. And so I want to invite you to open your Bible to Numbers chapter 13 and and also Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be in both of those places this morning. And um, just make yourself comfortable and open your heart and prepare to hear from the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we ask that today, as we gather to worship you, as we open your word to hear from you, 
that you would speak to us, Lord, that we would hear you uh, in our hearts. Uh, God, we know that, that all these things are passing away and you invite us to anchor our souls in eternity. Help us to do that this morning as we open your word together. We celebrate your resurrection. We celebrate your work on the cross even more. And we thank you for it. Thank you that we are able not merely to shelter in place, but to shelter in your grace. We thank you for that. And we ask your blessing on our, on our time together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, a lot of us are feeling like there's a light at the end of the tunnel uh, in this journey that we're on. We're getting close to a transition point where we're going to begin to put these restrictions away and step into a new place. And yet, despite that, let me ask you a question. Uh, are you afraid of what might happen next? Of what might be coming after this? Lots of people are. Lots of people are, are living with a, a certain apprehension and anxiety about where this is going in the long term. God wants to talk to us about that this morning because so many people live in fear of what might happen in an emergency. I love the story about the grandfather who was supposed to give a speech at a big wedding reception for his granddaughter. But right before he was supposed to give his speech, uh, his dentures broke. And thinking that he was going to have to bow out and disappoint her, he was happy when the guy sitting next to him saw what had happened and he leaned over and he whispered and said, Hey, I'm on my way home from work, so I've got a bunch of dentures in my bag here. Let's see if one, one of these pairs fits. And so they did. The first pair didn't fit. The second pair didn't fit. The third pair didn't fit. But he had five pairs and the fifth one actually worked. It fit. And it was just in time he got up and he, he gave his speech. And afterwards, he sat down and he leaned over to the man and he said, Wow, how lucky am I that I ended up sitting next to a dentist today. The man said, Oh, no, I'm, I'm not a dentist. And so the grandfather said, Well, then uh, why do you have a whole bag full of dentures? And the man said, Well, I was on my way home. I work at the funeral home. Those kinds of moments we can live in fear of, in fear of what we might discover, of what might happen next. The truth is, and, and we know this, that tough times come for everyone. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome this world. And let me ask you this morning to ask yourself, do you believe that Jesus has overcome what's coming in your life. He invites us to rest in that. I remember uh, my first night when I was stationed in Iceland, uh, 18 years old, I was sent overseas for my first duty station, a place called Marine Barracks Keflavik. And my first night there, far from home, the other side of the planet, uh, I'm, I'm sleeping in my barracks room for the first time and, and I woke up in the middle of the night to screaming. And it only took me a moment to realize that what was happening was that the new guys, there were four of us who had rotated in, the new guys were being initiated. Guys were breaking into their room and initiating them. And evidently it was quite a thing because there was screaming, hollering and, and fighting and so forth. And, and my roommate who had transferred in with me, he heard this, his eyes got big and he made a run for it. He headed out the door and across the parking lot, he was out. I thought to myself at first that, that maybe I wanted to run for it, but then, uh, you know, the next thing I thought was, you know what, uh, this stuff happens. I'm not the first that it's ever happened to. I'm sure I won't be the last. I might as well get it over with. And so what I did was I got down in the center of my barracks room. I stripped down to just my shorts, put all my stuff away, laid out a tarp, and sat down in the middle to wait for the initiation. The guys came down the hall, got to the other rooms. Our room was the last room. Suddenly I could hear them outside my door whispering. And then they burst into my room and attacked me. And they had shaving cream and, and all kinds of stuff to pour on me, black ink and all this kind of stuff. And they were threatening to do all. They had a wire brush they were going to hit me with and all this stuff. I just kind of curled up in a ball and sat there and, and took it. And what was hilarious 
was after about three minutes, they said to each other, man, this guy's no fun, let's go, and they left. And the whole thing was over for me in a moment. I got cleaned up and I went back to sleep, and the fun part of the story at the end was that I kind of earned a nickname after that. They started calling me Cool Hand Luke, which isn't the worst nickname to have when you're in a new place. But I learned something in that moment. I learned that our fear of what might happen is often much worse than what actually does. And God wants to, to talk to us about something similar this morning. We have been learning in this series about how God leads us not to the wilderness, but through the wilderness. When God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, the route whereby he delivered him included this journey through the wilderness. So we've been learning why and how and, and how God uses times like that to teach us to trust him, to teach us about his faithfulness. He leads us through the wilderness, not merely to it. And we've been exploring that. This morning we come to the last part of that journey where he seeks to graduate us to fearlessness, not by removing all trouble and hardship, but by making us immune to it, by remo removing our fear of it. So turn to Numbers chapter 13, and as I said earlier, put your finger there in Matthew chapter 15, and let's, let's listen to the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. After many trials, all of which God helped Israel overcome, here in Numbers chapter 13, we find uh, Israel on the far side of the wilderness at the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter into that destination, that destiny that God had called them to. And as they get to that border, as they get to that place of transition, the Bible says that God tells them to send some spies into the land so that they can see what they're about to receive. And the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, that the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. And these spies, uh, one from every tribe, included a couple of personalities that become very prominent as this story goes forward. They inc include a young man named Joshua who would become a leader of Israel in the future. They include an old man named Caleb who will set an incredible example. But God sends these spies into the land with a promise. He says, I want you to go spy out the land which I am giving to you. I have promised you that I would bring you into this land. I am in the process of bringing you into this land. I am going to keep my promise and bring you into this land. I want you to see what's coming. And so those spies go and search out the land. And as they did so, uh, they, they, they began to become afraid. They began to become fearful. Sometimes... We think that if we just see a few miracles, our faith will never fail or struggle again. But Israel, despite all they had seen in the months leading up to this moment, found themselves fearful after glimpsing the land they were coming into. You see, church, real faith comes from a deeper place than just seeing miracles. Real faith comes from a, a, an understanding of who God is even more than what he does. And these spies, chapter 13, verses 26 to 28, they come back to Moses and Aaron and the whole community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, Numbers 13, 26 and following. And they gave Moses this account. They said, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It is a rich land. It is a wonderful place. Here is its fruit. But, they said, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. In other words, this looks great, but it also looks hard. I wonder if you ever find yourself saying that to God. I do sometimes. This looks great, but it also looks demanding and difficult. When I think of this moment in the life of Israel, 
my mind goes back to a to a Saturday when Isaiah, just a, a, a young boy, came to him, his mom and I, and and he had seen his friends riding bikes, and and he wanted to learn to ride a bike. And so, you know, we, we started that process. I said, okay, this is gonna be the Saturday when I get to teach my son how to ride his bike. And Rhonda was watching, sitting there, it was a gorgeous day. Well, the first time that I got him on the bike and he tried to ride it, things didn't go well. His feet got tangled up, he fell over. He tried one more time and then he just became angry. He became angry that it wasn't easy. Now, in that moment, I knew that he was certainly capable of it. I knew that he was going to learn how to ride his bike. But all he could see was the difficulty and the hardship. And he started to say that he didn't want to learn how to ride his bike. He started to say that he's changed his mind and he wasn't interested. I knew better. I knew that he did want to. And Israel is reacting like that in this moment. They want to go into the promised land, but suddenly they're dismayed because it looks difficult. And in fact, what happened to Israel is the same thing that happened to Isaiah that day. He began to struggle with self-pity. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. The scripture says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Church, there's a lot to learn in this moment. Let me touch on a little bit of it for you, and that is that fear of doing hard things quickly turns to self-pity. That's what happened to Israel. They had been through hard things, but now they saw hard things again in front of them, and instead of saying, we've done that before, we've been down this road, instead, they began to feel sorry for themselves. And self-pity, when it is allowed, in our lives quickly turns into false accusations against God. Listen to what Israel says. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? That's a false accusation. He just reminded them before the spies were sent in, I'm giving you this land. I brought you here. You've seen what I've done. I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to bring you into this land. But they allowed their self-pity to turn into false accusations against God. All of us are tempted to do that sometimes. And then third, when we allow that process to happen, those false accusations against God quickly turn into rebellion against them. And then what does that look like? It looks like irrational self-destruction. Now, all of a sudden, they want to go back to Egypt. They want to recross the desert that they crossed. They want to go tackle all those challenges without God's help. How irrational is that? But, but that's the nature of self-pity. That's the power that fear can have over us. I love what the counselor Karen Lupit says. She says, most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. And Israel's having a moment like that right here. But church, here's the good news, is that when we perceive that those hardships are ahead of us, we don't have to give in to fear. Caleb didn't. Caleb was one of the spies who saw not only the, the blessing of the promised land, but also saw the hardships that would be uh, in front of them in that land. And, and the scripture says that Caleb responded very differently. Look at verses 30 to 32 of Numbers chapter 13. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, hey, we should go up and take position of this possession of this land. We certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Church, when God gives us a calling, when God leads us forward, there's always two voices. One that says we can and one that says we can't. And what has God called you to do but your fear of the, the, the hardship and difficulty associated with it is tempting you 
to give in to self-pity. You know, here, here's the truth about a father God, and that is that he wants to teach you and me how to do things we don't think we can do. He doesn't, he doesn't want to just make us comfortable any more than you just want to make your kids comfortable. He wants to make us holy and free. And, and the reality is that the, the deepest part of you, your soul, wants the same thing. And this is why the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and following, Now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor. You know, another way to understand this is that, that God treasures our faith because he is a father who wants to see us freed from fear. You know, that, that day that Isaiah uh, started his bicycle riding, that day that he set out to learn, that was a long, long day because when he said that he didn't want to learn anymore, I knew that he really did. I knew how great he would feel when he did. And so we entered into this epic battle where I said, yes, you can do this. And by the end of the day, he was. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to enter into that kind of struggle. Over in Matthew chapter 15, uh, there's a brilliant story of a, of a woman who faced a similar situation. The scripture tells us, Matthew 15 verses 22 and following, that a Canaanite woman, now that's significant, she's not a Jew, she's not an Israelite, she's a Gentile. A Canaanite woman came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now, interestingly, the scripture tells us that when she came with that request, Jesus did not answer a word. Stop for a moment and consider that. It is a significant detail. Every bit as significant as the fact that she was a Canaanite. And, and these two details are linked together. Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't respond to her. Why not? Well, the, the first part of the answer is in verse 24. The Lord says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, when he says that, you and I have to pay attention because that isn't factually correct. He has previously healed and ministered to many non-Jews. Back in Matthew chapter 8, he ministered to that Roman centurion and healed his servant. In Mark chapter 8, there was the Gerasene demoniac whom he, from whom he cast out many demons. There was the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. We go on and on. He has ministered to many non-Jews. So this statement that he makes here isn't factually correct. It's because he's, he's doing something else in the moment. He was waiting to see, knowingly, how the disciples would respond to this Canaanite woman. And they responded predictably. They said, send her away. Drive her off, Lord. She's not one of us. And it's in this moment that we begin to understand that his comment in verse 24 is an ironic joke at the disciples' expense. He knows their racism. He knows their superstitious belief that being a Jew is a privileged position rather than a responsible position. He knows that they believe on some level they're better than her. And so he enters into this moment to expose that in them. Now the woman, she's undeterred. Even though Jesus gives that answer, she believes in him so much that she presses her case. Look at verse 25. But the woman came, hearing what Jesus said in verse 24, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She obviously understood more about him than the disciples did because she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She came and asked again. Now, this is important to, to relate to our story about Israel at the edge of the promised land because Israel, when they encountered a hardship, they turned to self-pity, false accusations against God, unbelief. This woman encountering a difficulty presses in. She knelt before him and said, Lord, please heal my child. 
You see, what's happening here is important to understand. Jesus knows her faith and he knows the disciples' narrow-mindedness. And so he's using this moment to teach them something. That's important to understand, church, because faithful people know that God is always using them to teach others something. The reality is there's lots of people watching you. My wife is a tremendous witness in her workplace and there's a lot of fear in her workplace right now. And sometimes one of her coworkers will say, Rhonda, you seem so calm and unafraid. How is that possible? She says, well, I have a savior. I have a God, I have a Lord. Uh, I'm not worried, I'm not afraid because I know him. This woman is acting in that spirit in this morning, uh, in this moment. Verse 26 tells us that the difficulties got even greater because Jesus says to her, it's not right to take the children's food and throw it to their dogs. Now you have to understand, he's being very ironic here. The Jews think of Gentiles as dogs. And he, with a wink in his eye, is saying to her, you know, you're only a dog. Why would I answer your prayer when I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel? And she understands what he's saying and what he's doing. And as a consequence, in verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She knows who he is even more than the difficulty of the moment. That's the deeper faith that God seeks to cultivate in us. Anne Lamott points out that the disciples in this moment are, are suffering from their narrow-mindedness, from their superiority. She says, we can be sure we've made an idol of God in our own image when it turns out he hates all the same people we do. And the disciples thought in those terms, we're Jews, we're better than them. Jesus was sent to us first. This woman knows better. And Jesus knows she knows better. And she knows that Jesus knows she knows better. And so she responds and says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, she sees through this moment to the true heart of God. Like Caleb, her faith is in who he is more than the difficulty she sees in front of her. And Jesus answered the end of the story, verse 28. He says, woman, you have great faith. You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. You see, what the Lord was doing was he was using that moment to teach his disciples something. God wants to use us to speak to the world around us in this time. God wants you and I to grow in our faith until the hardships ahead of us don't deter us. You know, Israel might have expected at the end of the wilderness and the edge of the promised land to find out that occupying it would be as easy as laying on the couch. But God aims higher than that in their lives. And he invites them to remember that he's giving them the land, but the challenge of occupying it will be the next lesson in the growing of their faith. Church, understand something. Fear isn't overcome by not facing it. It's overcome when you face it with faith. Now, the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 and following that, that Israel's self-pity and rebellion caused God to send them back into the wilderness to learn those same lessons all over again. And in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10, it warns us to not be like that. Uh, when we see those hardships and difficulties ahead of us and know that God is leading us toward them, that we do, we follow him fearlessly. Caleb and Joshua would ultimately enter that promised land because they believed God even when they saw the difficulties ahead. And this kind of graduation is what God seeks for you and I. Now, a quick word before we kind of bring this all together this morning. Beware what is called the sin of presumption. When we look forward, we must beware the sin of presumption. Israel, having given in to their self-pity and unbelief and their false accusations against God and having gone into rebellion, the scripture says God said, okay, you need to go back out into the wilderness to learn these lessons again. 
Israel didn't receive that discipline. They didn't receive that new plan from God. Instead, verses 39 to 45 of Numbers chapter 14 says, they went ahead and charged into the promised land anyway. And as a consequence, they were defeated and driven back. Instead of obeying in humility, they disobeyed him again. Instead of allowing him to discipline them, they resisted, and as a consequence, they suffered for it. Church, understand something. As we look forward to this time, God seeks obedience, not simply courage. Let me say that again. God seeks obedience, not simply courage. The sin of presumption happens when we think he seeks courage before obedience. Let me illustrate the sin of presumption for you. When Jesus was in the wilderness... The, desert, uh, the devil came and tempted him. And the scripture says that Satan quoted the Bible and said, the scripture says that you can throw yourself off the top of the temple and you won't be harmed. And he quoted scripture. Jesus said, it also says, don't test the Lord your God. Jesus refused to substitute courage for obedience. And we face that same kind of challenge in this time. There are some of us who believe that, that God in this time is seeking courage more than obedience. He's not. He's not. read a horrible story this week about a Virginia pastor, uh, Bishop Glenn, who, who died of the sin of presumption. Defying the orders to stay home, he and his church met insisting that nobody would get sick because God was with them. Then Bishop Glenn got sick and he died of the coronavirus. And his wife is fighting for her life right now. You see, what was, what was the mistake in that moment? It was in believing that God wanted courage more than obedience. Church, it is our obedience that pleases him and that blesses us. Of course, God is bigger than this virus, but you don't have to prove it by being presumptuous. You prove it by being obedient. Presumption is when we believe God wants courage more than obedience. I remember when Isaiah was in school and, and he would uh, have a real problem with fighting. He got in a lot of fights. And, and part of the reason was because as he grew up, I wanted him to be able to defend himself and more importantly, to be able to watch out for those around him who might need defending for the weaker. But somewhere along the line, he got that message confused and he began to think that I wanted him to pick fights. We had to sort that out. As he was a teenager, I said, son, no, I don't want you to prove your courage. I just want you to be prepared to be obedient. Church, as we come to the border of this wilderness, to the, to the end of this quarantine and begin to look beyond it, we see difficulties and hardships and tough times. The question is whether we will believe that God will overcome them in us and for us. We can choose that. Caleb did. The Canaanite woman did. We can choose that as well. The Apostle Paul learned how to choose that, and so he wrote in Philippians chapter 4 these words, I have learned the secret of, of being content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what is that secret? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can enter into this promised land beyond this wilderness quarantine. I can face the hardships and challenges that are there because I am sure of my God. Because I am sure of my Father in heaven. Because I know that I'm a daughter, I'm a son of that Father. God wants us to own that. And as we look forward to this time beyond the wilderness, he wants us to do that with faith, knowing that he will lead us through. You know, looking back, I know how much God treasured a moment in Ron and I's lives. And that was when we moved to Moscow, Idaho, to become the pastor of a little tiny church with seven people in it. There was no pay. There was no housing. It was just a calling. And I remember when we made that journey, the only hope that we had was the sense that God was calling us forward, the sense that God was leading us into that journey. I'll never forget our first Sunday there. I, I, I smile and laugh about it to this point. There were seven of us gathered in the sanctuary and worship was led by one elderly saint with an accordion. I'll never forget it. 
And then God began to do his thing to grow that fellowship, to grow that community, to grow that church. A few years later, there were hundreds of us celebrating together what God had done. And you know, we look back on that time as the time when we lost our fear. When I first went there, I, I slept on the floor in my office. You know, I took a shower across the street at the gym. Ron and I both worked full time in order to, to be able to serve, but we did it with the knowledge that God was leading us through these hardships, through these difficulties. And that's what he wants you and I to grasp as we look forward. And so God's invitation to you and I here at the edge of the wilderness is to believe that he is leading us forward, that he will see us through, that he will bring us into that promised land. And I just want to invite you this morning to bow your head, maybe close your eyes in this moment and to say to God personally, like Caleb, like that Canaanite woman, I believe you, Lord. I trust you with the hardships in my future. I know you're going to lead me through them and you're going to bring me to the place of blessing. God wants you to rest in that the same way you want your kids to rest in your keeping. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we look across the river to a land filled with giants, help us to remember that we don't go in there alone. We go in there with you. We go in there led by you. God, help this time to be the end of our fear. Help us to grow to the point where we know, like Paul did, what the secret of contentment is. That knowing that through you, we can overcome. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, we pray for that. We ask that you settle that in our hearts and enable us to walk in the peace of faith. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Love you. Miss you. See you soon. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.